And I think COVID, all the bad things it did to society, the good thing is people started to accept and understand what a service at home means. I think we're at an inflection point right now, yeah. With all the buzz of new innovations, it's easy to forget that healthcare is a people business in need of technology, not a technology business in need of people. From the organizers of health, we bring you Live at Vive, a podcast where we embark on curious conversations with prominent speakers, experts, and innovators in the trenches of healthcare. Join hosts, Dr. Gotham Gulati, Jessica Shepard, and myself, Jordan Schlain, as we seek to uncover the truth behind the inner workings of our fractured healthcare system and ultimately how we can fix it together. On today's episode, we bring you Daniel Graff, where we will discuss the future of health at home through the lens of medical transportation. Daniel is Dispatch Health's Chief Product Officer, leading all technology functions, including engineering, data, product, IT, and information security. Daniel's team is focused on enhancing the company's clinical and operational foundation to enable better care. I'm your host, Dr. Jessica Shepard. Let's get started. It's another episode of the official Vive podcast in Gotham. My amazing, handsome, <laughs> I feel like smart, the compliments keep getting better and better every episode here. The so longer we've been here. I'm leaving. <laughs> 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 he is my official podcast leader here, and I'm Jessica Shepard, and we are going to lead you into another session with Daniel Graff, who is the Chief Product Officer of Dispatch Health. Welcome, Daniel. Hey, Jessica. Hey, Gautam. Yeah, it's good to have you. Yeah, it's good great to, be to here. have you. We we actually were, you know, we've done a few sessions on home health, but we are going to, again, see that experience through Dispatch Health and how that started from what I know started in 2013 2014 with founders around 2014 15 yeah, yeah. Mark and Kevin yeah. yeah Mark and Kevin so emergency room physician and then a physician assistant mm-hmm. Kevin kind of combining their forces and and being disruptors and game changers in the healthcare delivery niche of health so start out by giving us a quick synopsis of where you are now with that process since the starting of the company? Well, I wasn't there when it started, but I I can talk a little bit about the the latest few years. I Mm -hmm. joined about two years ago. And by the way, if you want to embarrass me on this podcast, ask any healthcare questions because (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm always the oddball because I don't have a healthcare background. I'm from technology side. And what you know what sometimes is really refreshing because you Mm -hmm. get, you know, you don't come with a baggage of what we can't do, but actually you know, the possibilities of what can be done. Yeah, I, I think it's good. If if you have folks with like dozens of years of experience in healthcare and then folks who bring in a new perspective, I think that's where the, the good creative stuff happens. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So Dispatch, where we are right now, is it's what's fascinating over the last two years when I joined was we're evolving into an ecosystem. And what that means is, as you said, when Kevin and Mark started, it was the, the ER at home, right? Mm-hmm. So basically on-demand, emergency, high-acuity patient services. And within two hours, someone sees you in your home, which is a fantastic experience, right? Because if you have to drive to the ER, you wait three, four hours in the ER, and then, then maybe you grab another illness at the ER. So 
apparently that happens occasionally. Mm. It's just a very different experience. And they had the vision in, yeah, 13, 14, around that time, how would this look like at scale? And I think we're, we're there now. I think the industry is actually at a very interesting time. In terms of scale, we have seen close to a million patients. And that means driving to the homes of those people. And it's not like a video call, right? It's actually, you have a provider there. You have a, a nurse practitioner, a doctor, a med tech is there in the home. And when it started, it was this ER at home. And now it has evolved. As I mentioned, it's turning into this ecosystem. So we also built a service called, it's called Advanced Care. That's the hospital at home. And so we are our own. We had basically, if you go to an ER and occasionally you get, you become an inpatient, right? And we're doing that in the home. For mm -hmm. example, if someone has a wound infection or if someone has pneumonia, we can treat you at home for the next six to 10 days. So that's a program which is doing really well. And then we also started offering ancillary services. For example, in the ER, 23% of patients need imaging service example, an x-ray or ultrasound. And now we offering those services as well in the home. So we can do a quick follow-up for an ultrasound or an x-ray. And I think at this point, we're at number two or number three in the country in terms of mobile imaging services. So you, you see a whole ecosystem is happening now, which has moved to the home. And of course, slightly biased, thanks to a lot of technology as well, mm -hmm. but, but also thanks to a, a very big change in mindset, and I think COVID, all the bad things it did to society, the good thing is people started to accept and understand what a service at home means, right? Instacart, Uber Eats, and all that stuff. So why not healthcare at home as well, right? So I think we're at an inflection point right now, yeah. I think that's a very fascinating feature of how we view healthcare. Um, and some of the discussions that we've had before is it is very disconnected, disjointed when you think of, I go to the doctor's office, I go to the ER, I go to the hospital. And with that comes being uncomfortable, unfamiliar. There's sometimes a trust issue. And so it does make sense to bring healthcare into the home. I wanted to talk about some of your, your past experience and how that overlap of technology as, as the vice president of product at Uber, how did you see the need for what they're really good at, which is getting somewhere from A to B, working in the overlap of dispatch health? Yeah, so what's interesting, and by the way, you call me the vice president, and that's something I learned in healthcare. Titles matter a lot, apparently. I really don't care. I really don't so, care. I'm just so I, Daniel. So, were you, so you, we should just say you're like the CEO, the founder, the vice president, president of Uber. Because <laughs> you're like, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, I was helping the team there on the product side. And uh, it was an interesting experience. I mean, Uber today, and before I was at Google, right? I was responsible for the consumer side of Google Maps. And those are, you could saw. You could call them utilities. You just use them on a daily basis. You probably use Google Maps over the last All few the days, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. You might have used Uber or Lyft over the last two right. days as well, I live right? in Uber. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uber had its stint in healthcare as well, right? Still does. Absolutely. Still do. yeah. oh. Oh, it totally makes sense, right? Yeah. Because you could transport patients if they have to go the to non -emergency a non-emergency medical transport. That's exactly. Right. Yeah. That is one thing. But then also you could imagine, I mean, if healthcare comes to your home to run a lab service or anything like that, yeah, the yeah. Uber network is out there. 
a lot of small companies don't have to scale to make it viable, right? So I think there's opportunity there as well. But uh, Jessica, where you're coming from is it's just the log- logistical challenge. So when I look at the there's the five stages for a, for a, a member at dispatch that that's from from onboarding when you get in touch with us or when you get referred to us or that's the starting point then before your visit during the visit after the visit and then care coordination as well logistics is one of the key components because take denver and let's just assume let's say we have 15 cars on the road during the day, and again, this is for high acuity patients, during the day, we get calls, we get referrals, and we have to make decisions in real time and changes. Oh, there's a higher acuity patient up in the Rhino district, right? What does the technology have to do? In the old days, someone was managing almost like a taxi company, a board. We got a call, put yeah, them on like the board, triage, next one in. Right. Exactly, exactly. But today we have data. And based on data, we can make really smart and more efficient decisions. And I know we're on a podcast, but for your understanding here, I'm just, I'm going to show you something real quick. This is a day in Denver. And what I'm showing here is a simulation of how changes happen. Whenever you see a change here, a new schedule has been made. So this is 17 cars and there's about 25,000 schedule changes in one day. You can't do this manually anymore. Right? right? Because you have some calls from the previous day, then you get calls in the morning and then during the day, you have to adjust based on acuity, based on who the partner is, based on location, etc. And these are dispatch cars? This is all dispatch, 100%. Yeah, this is a, an actual day in Denver. And you see at the end of the day, the cars go back to the depots. What we're seeing for those listening is sort of a map of the, the different dispatched cars changing schedules, changing directions. In, in, in a lot of flickering, ways. right? Because flickering. W- whenever something flickers, yeah. that means, oh, we had to change one of the schedules for yeah. one of the cars. So you can do this for one or two cars manually, no problem. Once you're in like five or more, 10 or 30 cars in a market, you can't do this efficiently anymore. And that's back to your question. Of course, that's where Uber is coming from, right? To mm-hmm. optimize a two-sided marketplace in real time. So who's dispatching the cars? Like who's, who's, who calls the service? Where does it come from? So who brings the patients or who makes the dispatch then the schedule? Yes. The who, logistics so, engine, that's the technology now. No, but so, so, so a patient has some a sort of oh, a need yes. or emergency. Yeah. They call yep. 911. Nope. They call they the call hospital. Dispatch they, call they call dispatch. Us. They can call the hospital. We have a lot of hospital partners, and then they they refer to us. We have a platform for hospitals to refer patients based to onboard with us. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. You so too. so there's several ways of how patients get to you. get to dispatch basically. So one is via partners. It's a very big channel basically, and we have a. It's called dispatch express that's a platform where they easily can admit basically a patient with us and then we can depending on if a healthcare provider admits a patient there's a different onboarding flow than if a non-healthcare person does it because mm-hmm. risk stratification is very important for us right very. and we can talk about that later risk strat because we're dealing with high acuity patients it's not like runny noses and stuff like that so it's very important mm-hmm. based on a, a little information i don't see you in person i have to decide is it safe to see you should i see you in the next two hours or is actually four hours okay right mm-hmm. based on your chief complaint based on how you're talking to me and all that similar to so, the er absolutely Heart but in the er versus a runny nose in the er you're sitting in the waiting room there right. and everyone sees you. We don't have that, right? So we, we have to, we use different types of data and we want to, and, and, and of course, technology helps a lot. Then we also get a lot of 
direct to consumer, basically. Consumers go on dispatchhealth.com. We're in about, we're in around 50 markets, 23 states, and they just sign up through the onboarding flow online. And we have several ways of doing that. We're working and we're early on that actually where there's a full digital sign-on. And, you know, for a runny nose, that's totally fine. But again, for a high acuity situation, can you do that? Is it safe to see you? So we're working on a lot of technology there. A lot of times these days, we give you a quick call. So you sign on, you're like, I'm available in the next four hours. Here's my chief complaint. Here's my insurance information, all that. You can do that online. And then someone calls you just to go through a risk strategy. Would you say that most of your growth is through direct-to-consumer for just people who are randomly looking for some way to get that service? Or is it through the referral network in the hospital systems? It's both, actually. And it's almost a little bit like a flywheel now. Of course, it matters how many lives you've covered. We have 200 million lives covered in the US, right? I think around 70% or so, please don't quote me on that, of Medicare is covered by this. So it's like we have a very large population is covered by now. So it's really across the board and it depends on the markets, right? In most markets, we have strategic partnerships with health systems and, and, and facilities, et cetera. And, and in other markets, we have less so and it's more direct to consumers. So there's different channels, yeah. Who pays for it? What's the, what's the economic? <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for this what's question. The, I always have to bring <laughs> this up because it's a non-traditional form of delivery that our system isn't usually incented or aligned for. And we do have some policies that have been approved you know, temporarily uh, in terms of the absolutely, hospital home. Absolutely. So that's a lot of work, right? And what's happening is there's several ways of how payment happens. And by the way, I'm sure maybe I'm a step ahead now in terms of your next question or so. It was like, why would someone do it? And of course, there has to be a financial incentive, right? So on, on I'll just share a couple numbers there. So for our ER at home, that's our acute care program, we save on average $1,500. So per patient, because you know how much it costs when you walk into an ER, right? Yeah. So it's like, so that's, 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 that is around $1,500. And then our hospital at home, which is advanced care, again, someone with wound infection or pneumonia or something like that, we take care of you for the next five to 10 days in the home with remote patient monitoring, nurses come to your home, et cetera. There we save between five and $7,000 per episode. And there's the motivator, right? There's the driver. So you ask who pays. We are contracted with all the major payers. And I mean, it's, it's, it's literally hundreds of health plans at this point. As I mentioned, 200 million lives are covered. There's fee for service. There's partnerships we have. There's JVs we have. It's across the board. It really depends. It's complicated, I would say. So but do hospitals not like this because you're taking no, away? No, no. I, I, it's very interesting. Uh, here's what's happening moving forward. And of course, now you have a, a techie guy talking about where healthcare is going. So take this with a grain of salt, all of you. I'm not the doctor at the table. You are. So I think where things are going, we, we know how our current hospital system is not scalable, right? And if you look at the cost structure, it just doesn't work. I mean, I think in, I heard yesterday yeah, on heads, the panel. It's a heads per beds model, it, right? It's it, a, it, it, yeah, but also like if you look at the overall cost, right? We're talking about what's the healthcare system in 28, it's going to be six over $6 trillion. It's not sustainable. We're going to hit a wall, right? So we need to look for more efficient models. So with the health system, the hospitals we're working with, there's several scenarios. Some of them, Oh, we have out of capacity. Dispatch can help us, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, great. Others, 
we have one service called, it's called bridge care. It's transitional care. So you have a surgery at the hospital, you're being discharged, and then someone has to see you in the next 48 to 72 hours. And instead of going back to the hospital, we can see you way more cost-effective, way more convenient. You don't have to leave your home, right? Someone comes, checks on you, and you're... So that's an obvious benefit to everyone. And then some of them have really embraced it and seen it's very complementary. We, of course, will always need brick-and-mortar facilities for certain procedures. That's, there's no mm -hmm. question about it. But we cannot avoid that with today's technology, with remote patient monitoring and all the stuff you can do in the home these days, you, you have a 24-7 connectivity, which we didn't have 10 years ago, right? Now you do. In elderly people's homes, we have that. We now have the conditions where it just works better. And then if you look at the, all the outcomes, when, I, when you look at the quadrupling of healthcare, so the, I think that's still how you guys call it, right? Mm -hmm. Quadrupling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we talked about costs before, right? It lowers costs significantly. That obviously matters. The outcomes are for the hospital in the home, we're at about 7% readmission rates within 30 days. And you know, the average is 19 to 23%. It's right. a third, right? Yeah. Then our NPS is 95 plus, unheard of, right? A hospital is 20 to 30, somewhere there. And also with our provider- that high. Oh, it's- well, <laughs> 20 to 30. Why are you surprised? Because- No, I'm talking about the hospital. Oh, okay. That, <laughs> no, 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 I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> I understand. Like, exit there. I understand from the dispatch, but the hospital- like 20, You, you 30, said that, right? And, and the, the provider satisfaction is higher as well. So that's, I don't think, to, to answer your question, long-term is, is like, I think we have to embrace this. The ecosystem, we have to find a way to make this work. Of course, there's always the laggards who are like, oh no, this is eating into my business, et cetera. Instead of like, oh, there's actually a great opportunity here, you know, and we can help a lot with our great technology. Yeah. I mean, I think in, in so many instances in healthcare where we see that bottleneck effect of not enough providers or the facility can't house you know, the amount of patients that they're getting. I mean, there are so many aspects of healthcare where this would prove to be only an opportunity and, and a benefit to patients. But I, I think going back to, you know, where we started this conversation is the home, right? And you'd given that statistic about how much time we spend at home. What was so it? So we spend 92% of our time indoors and 74% of that inside of our own homes. Right. Is, is this post-COVID? Oh, this, that number was actually like pre-COVID. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah, so I, think the, I think the 90 something percent is post, but the yeah. 70 wow. percent or something was pre-COVID. So yeah. it's probably closer to like 78, 80 yeah. percent. And that is one of the definitive things that the pandemic changed was how we see our homes, right? So a lot of people, instead of traveling now, they spend more time in expanding their home or, or adding, you know, features to their homes because they just would prefer to spend more time at home. So what better way to create that continuum of your journey in health, or if you do have a healthcare issue or just prevention, I think, you know, ultimately we do want to move the scale of, of healthcare to more prevention than just, oh, I'm deathly ill. Now I need a, you know, a doctor. These are all things that can be facilitated in the home. A hundred percent. And as I mentioned earlier on, services like Instacart or Uber Eats or, or take Amazon Prime, right? We're all addicted to it, right? It's like, I'm and it's definitely Amazon Prime. You are? Addicted for well, sure. How can you not, right? <laughs> With that quality of service, right? So, and why health being so important, why shouldn't that be 
taking care of Amazon Prime is better than Santa for my kids. (laughs) 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 Those boxes show up. Right, I know. All year long, right? Not just around the holidays. Exactly. What's the follow-up like? Like, is, uh, do they follow up with, with your staff and your colleagues or does that get transferred over to the no, primary well, physician? Well, it depends, or? right? So we absolutely, we, we, we hand over to the primary physician as well, I think. And if they don't have one, where does it sit? We follow up or we follow up with whoever they were in touch before. So we have, I, it's either over 70 or 80%, I think it's over 80% where we have a formal follow-up, something like that. And the way you do it actually, and that's, also where technology comes into play, right? There's several ways of following up. One is when the visit is over in your home and the average age of our members is 55 years. So there's a lot of elderly as mm. well. And you would think, oh, technology is tricky and all that. We launched last year an experience is called the companion experience. And what you're getting on your, it's via your mobile phone where you get a text message and then secure messaging and you can upload your insurance information, but also the post visit information that is being sent to you as well. And we were like, well, for this population, they're not as, they're not digital natives, right? And you're like, are they actually going to use it or not? Over 70% of our members actually are engaging in, in that kind of follow-up. So back to the follow-ups as well is like, when you go to a doctor's office, a lot of time you get you get a printout afterwards, right? Discharge papers or whatever it is. So with a prescription or whatever is it. We have a mobile printer with us. So oh. we can do that on site. It's very important. And, mm-hmm. and just to trust me, you walk into a home, three flights of stairs up with all your gear and everything. And there has to be a printer in there. We need connectivity in the home, right? Because occasionally we connect to a doctor remote with a video conferencing stuff like that you need really good connectivity so there's a lot of fundamentals we have to do from a technology point of view to make that work so follow-ups via printing via digital methods through our portals via care coordination with their pcp or whoever it is if you have that information so someone providing access to their home is a complete privilege what are some surprises that you've seen as you've you've been into the homes like things that were just unexpected we make this a mandated dispatch, everyone who works there, when you have an opportunity, you're one of the markets, you go on a ride along mm-hmm. just to really experience it. Mm-hmm. I can show you PowerPoint slides all day long. We can talk about it when you experience this, then you really understand what it means. The biggest, I think for me personally, again, coming from, from a non-healthcare background is how willing members and patients are to open their house and share who they are and where they are. And when it comes to the social determinants of health, right? It's like, you walk into a home, you get a picture right away. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. someone's Absolutely. doing, how someone's feeling. They didn't dress up for us. You know, this is who they are. This is mm-hmm. where they are. And I think that that provides quite some interesting values as well. Yeah. And then, of course, the, the one of the biggest things is definitely that uh, healing in your home. If you can mm. do it safely, it's always best, better because your loved ones are around you and you just do better there, right? You don't want to be tied to a hospital bed. Oh, I know this very well. I you think do? post-operatively, you know, I'm always telling my patients, I'm like, my job is to get you to a point here where you can do it at home. Yep. So whatever those outcome measures are, you've now tolerated a regular diet you're able to ambulate to some degree with some help even, we're able to use the bathroom freely, right? Yeah. And I'm like, my goal is when you meet those measures, you can still now still recover in the comfort of your home 
And that's what my my job is to get you to do, because I think there was a misunderstanding for so long, particularly, you know, postoperatively, is that you had to be there for a minimum of five to seven days. You know, even when I think of my my mother and her experience from a postpartum experience because she had a C-section, I mean, back then it was like you had to spend at least a week in the hospital. And now there are some people who can maybe post-op day one or two, mm. go home. So we have made some strides in that area, but I would love to see, you know, what this can look like for so many different conditions and, and post-operative and, you know, acute events that, that patients Absolutely. are having, not having to necessarily go in the hospital yeah. doors. Yeah, we know, your risk goes up significantly oh God. after you walk in a hospital and you're like, well, hours. Exactly. Yep. Right, the complication risk goes up. Yep, Absolutely. Risk goes up. And, and we believe we can see 60 to 70% of the chief complaints at an ER, you can see in the home. Oh, I mean, I remember when I did my ER rotation as a student is again, when they come in with their chief complaint and I, you know, kind of like that, that slow blink, like <laughs> that's where the lack of communication and education comes with what is the ER really for? Yeah. And some people have turned it into their doctor's office. It's a primary care. Yeah. Right. Oh, for you know, a lot expensive. of folks. Very, oh, it's very, very expensive doctor's visit. <laughs> and so I think I actually do see some blame on the healthcare provider side because there was a lot of times when the offices were so packed from seeing patients, you know, whoever picks up the phone at that office is like, yeah, we can't get to it today. Just go to the mm-hmm. ER. Mm-hmm. And so it created this culture of, well, you know, I'm just going to go to the ER and mm-hmm. get it taken care of. And so mm-hmm. we do need to change that narrative. I think there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done on that perspective and that front to change how people think of yeah. the ER and urgent care. I think actually, and I think COVID taught us a lot as well. I think long-term what we're going to see is there's how do we engage purely digital, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's no human beings for healthcare, right? For living so better. So you're trying to like, eliminate whatever. our jobs, right? It, well, <laughs> trust me. Is, is anyone in healthcare looking for a job? There's plenty. So I think we have a problem. No, it's the opposite problem, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's like, I, I don't think we have an issue there, to be honest. So I wish there were more providers. No, what I'm saying is, I think there's going to be like, there's four different types of engagement you're going to have. The first one is digital only. And, and I'm sure you're following a little bit what's happening with chat GPT mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm. that. And we're early there. There's going to be a lot of, I mean, the first thing we're going to see there is in education for, for our children. They're going to have amazing AI tutors, you know, to learn custom to them. You're going to get that related to healthcare as well. So the digital experience. The second thing is what we saw a lot during COVID, I would say is telehealth, right? Where mm-hmm. you just do a, you do a Zoom, a HIPAA compliant Zoom call with a provider and there's plenty of providers there. It's not too hard technically. And it, it, for certain things, right? And like, oh, I have an eczema here. What do you think it is? Or I have a runny nose or I got a tick bite or something like that. You can do that, right? For a lot of things there. And then I think it's where you need a real in-person interaction. Healthcare will always require that, right? There's no question about it for a lot of, a lot of situations. And that's where I think we're going to have, on one end, the care, the healthcare at home. And then there's still the facilities. They're going to, in the next 10 years, they're going to, maybe more, things take a little time, they have to rediscover themselves. What mm-hmm. is the ER for, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, does every health system, does a Kaiser need to think holistic and do all four stages? My answer is probably yes. That's probably where we're going to go. So I think there's going to be those four ways of interacting with, with the healthcare system, which 
of course, technology removes a lot of the friction which we have still today, right? And that's so exciting about it. No, I think this has really changed, you know, for me personally, the dynamic and how I think about healthcare to my patients when thinking about this interface, but also like, you know, optimistically what we're able to see with this type of accomplishment globally. Because when you think of global, most people do have access to a mobile phone. Mm -hmm. And so what we would be able to accomplish with, you know, villages and in countries where they're not, they don't even have access to, to care unless they take a two or three day trip. And what we'll be able to see with the extension of healthcare providers in some of those remote areas, I think that this is a fascinating way to look at that and deliver more effective and efficient healthcare for everyone and in every country. And I think that's the best way that you can see if something, the way the model is, is if that yeah. is scalable, not only within a certain city or state, but globally. Oh, absolutely. I think when you talk about equity, when you talk about access, this, this is game changing. You talk globally. I totally believe that. I'm, I'm a fan of several companies. You know, oh, I forgot the name. Uh, Zipline, you know, that company, they draw mm -hmm. blood. Uh, what's the it drones? Called? The drones yeah. in, in Africa. And stuff. Mm. It's freaking amazing, right? Yeah, it saves amazing. so many lives. You know, it's like it's a company out of Silicon Valley. So I think that's true. We see it here in the U.S., how many elderly patients on Medicare cannot go to the hospital or so? Or if you mm -hmm. go, it's a $1,000 transport cost Correct. just to get to the hospital. Yep. And then the whole treatment yeah. there, which can be thousands of dollars, right? That That is I mean, changing. People don't engage with the system because Absolutely. they're scared of what those dollars mm -hmm. and cents they're are going like, to add up oh, to. This is thousands of dollars. Yeah. My, I, I don't feel my my leg. Thousand, but. I'm not going to do anything. Yep. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like until they can't do anything yeah, and then they, exactly. they just have to do it. And then it gets then way more expensive right? exactly. at that point. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I feel very enlightened with the information that you provided. Gives me hope into seeing what we can do for our patients from a technology standpoint and delivering healthcare to the home. I know you're a big fan of that, Gotham. I'm a huge a fan, of, fan yeah. of home health and healthcare. <laughs> I mean, and it's a big spectrum and, of things. And I like yeah. that, you know, the dispatch is really, focusing on, on, a, on, a, on a core need. And I'm, I'm really excited about to see what for, progress you have. Yeah. For those who are listening, uh, Gautam is wearing a hat and it says <laughs> the well home. So yeah, yeah, he, he's a fan, it seems I like. A very <laughs> big fan. <laughs> definite fan of, of health in the home. But Thank this you, is a great Daniel. conversation. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me here. All right. Thank you. Thank you again for another session of the Official Live Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you're still here, I'm hoping it's because you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. We'll be releasing new episodes regularly. And to stay on top of the hottest topics, simply subscribe to Live at Five wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review. This podcast is a product produced and mixed by Well Played Media in partnership with Health, the organizers of the annual Vive conference. Remember to subscribe, and if you have an idea for a non-boring show in health or medicine, email us your idea at hello at wellplayed.health. Are you interested in seeing and meeting many of the guests we interview on this show? Be sure to check out viveevent.com and join us at next year's conference. See you next time.